0: to the Rocks podcast. Living in a fallen world and having to deal with our own brokenness, we are always needing spiritual renewal, and that's the theme of the book of Ezra. After 70 years in captivity, it's time for the people of God to return home where the first priority will be the worship of God and the rebuilding of the temple. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezra. You ready to dive back into Ezra, almost uh, toward the last part of the book, chapter 7, is where we're headed, so let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we think about tonight, the good hand of the Lord, the blessing upon our lives, your people, Lord, the favor that you have afforded us through Christ our Lord is just Amazing, overwhelming, encourage us again, afresh and anew, as we take a look at how good you are to us. You treat us better than we deserve. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know that you know this about me or not, but I'm not much of a football fan, but I do get interested in it from time to time. When there's a little bit of a backstory going on or uh, behind the scenes drama or a w- rivalry or the uh, player stories, or, you know, and then I get a vested interest in it and then I want to watch. Uh, for, or when there's a miraculous play, and, uh, you know, there was a miraculous play last Sunday night, and now I'm a Vikings fan. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. Oh, come on. I'm going to show you a clip, and you are also going to be a Vikings fan. It's about a minute long, but let me tell you, let me set it up for you if I can. I'm going to try to. The Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints were playing. All right? That much I know. Now, uh, (laughs) the Vikings, by halftime, had thrown away a 17-point zero lead, right? And they were getting ready to lose. In the last 10 seconds, something amazing happened, and I'm going to show it to you right now. Keenum's going to try to work the ball on the boundary. (laughs) Keenum steps into it, passes, caught. Marcus Williams here. He has a shot. I'm not sure really what he's thinking, Joe. He comes in. He's got him dialed in. And he just, all he's got to do is make a play. And even if he catches it, you tackle him in bounds. The game is over. And I know Diggs, he's he's catching this. He's expecting somebody to hit him. And he turns around. Heck, nobody's there. And he's off to the races. And it's pandemonium. 61 brilliant yards for Stefan Diggs. And Case Keenum has just taken the Minnesota Vikings to the NFC Championship game in a game. So did you see those two guys were supposed to tackle him, right? Instead, they tackled each other, right? And so that is really what made it a lot of fun. You know, when the interview, right, uh, when they interview athletes who are successful, or celebrities for that matter, or for successful business people, they always ask for the reason, hey, what's, what was up with that miraculous turnaround or that wonderful achievement or whatever it is? And there's always a variety of answers, aren't there? Some give credit to a lot of hard work and discipline personal willpower determination never give up kind of attitude or some people say you know I've always maintained my integrity or whatever or or some just say you know they'll say just lucky I guess but it doesn't take a believer very long at all to point the index finger heavenward it doesn't take them very long to, to before they're praising the name of the Lord and before you hear the name of Jesus being praised and given the glory, like Stephon Diggs did when they put a microphone in his face. And of course, as soon as he started talking about Jesus, they cut away. I was so surprised to see that. <laughs> now, now, if you would have asked Ezra, the secret of his recent crazy success, more than a miraculous turnaround with 10 seconds, oh man. Um, but he and the Jewish people have been enjoying this incredible, as I said, miraculous uh, blessing. And if you would have asked him and his team, uh, you know, how, did, how could have this happened? He would have humbly said to you, the good hand of the Lord was upon me and do you know how I know that that's exactly what he would say because he's gonna say it about six times <laughs> between chapter 7 and chapter 8 sometimes he says gracious hand sometimes he just says the hand of the Lord sometimes it's translated the good hand but uh, but it means God's gracious intervention was upon my life therefore something wonderful has happened uh, let me show you what I'm talking about here. Verses 1 through 10, Ezra 7. After these things, and of course, I'll tell you what these things were. During the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, The son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Mariath, that's right, Mariath, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, (laughs) I think that's a weapon. (laughs) (laughs) The son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar the son of Aaron. Wow, we're all the way back to Aaron, Moses' brother, the chief priest, the high priest. This era, this Ezra, I should say, came up from Babylon, as opposed to any other Ezra you may be thinking. You have 16, 16 names to, to verify here through his uh, extraordinary genealogy. You don't often see that. This era Ezra, why do you want to say era? came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well versed in the Bible, the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, the Persian king. For the hand of of the Lord, his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon in um, modern day Iraq near Baghdad on the first day of the first month. And he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teach and teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Okay, we're underway, verses 1 through 10. And now we're going to take a look at these wonderful verses here. The chapter opens up after these things. And really, if you want to uh, entitle the chapter to come, the good hand of God. Really. And the first thing that we're going to see God does when the people of God need some encouragement or they're struggling in any way is He raises up a godly leader. So we begin here with after these things, and it begs the question, what things? And so, of course, I'm going to tell you what that is, and it just means everything that's come before in chapters one through six, and specifically the dedication of a temple that they just rebuilt from scratch out of the rubble, right? Very miraculous turnaround indeed. Now, if you're new or you've missed a few Wednesday nights, uh, you need a little one-minute recap. The Jewish people were conquered and uh, some 70 years earlier, and exiled, removed from the promised land and taken to places like Iraq and Iran and uh, Jerusalem with its towering city wall and its beautiful, glorious temple that Solomon built was leveled to the ground by King Nebuchadnezzar and just out added- of chastisement for biting the hand that feeds and turning their backs on God. God allowed that to happen, but only for 70 years. He promised them they would come back. Now, the Jews have been displaced throughout the Middle East. They don't live in Israel anymore at the, uh, after these things is what I'm talking about. And, uh, until a foreign pagan power, the, a king of Persia, uh, had his heart changed by the Holy Spirit and somehow With 10 seconds left on the clock, as it were, this Persian king, King Cyrus, his heart's all stirred up to become a sympathetic uh, Zionist, really, to put the Jews back into the land. So he permits the Jewish people to return to Israel with some obscure Jewish pastors who lead the way. So it's a real miracle for sure. He he sends them back into the land with palace orders and royal funds. So, and and through many dangerous toils and snares in these last six chapters, 50,000 Jews now live back in Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the foundation of the temple and the temple itself. So, there you go with the recap. Now, let me just show you how miraculous this was. Let me show you the first picture of the wall with some rubble. When you go in March with us, a hundred of you are coming, uh, you will stand and walk down this sidewalk. I've walked down this sidewalk four times. Uh, everybody does. It's, it's just one of the places you stop. And those are the stones from the rubble from King Nebuchadnezzar's day when he came in and leveled the place. And so the rebuilding is actually what went up there when they rebuilt the foundation of the temple. Now, let me show you. So from, from absolute, just picture the whole thing down in piles like this. And then imagine people, where would you even start back 2,500 years ago? Wow. The, the good hand of the Lord was upon them. Now, let me show you the temple model uh, that you'll also see uh, from, this is from a life-size model that we stop and we take a look at. What we're talking about with the rebuilding of the temple is this structure here. Not the whole thing. Herod the Great comes in later, and he's going to beautify the place. Uh, but when, when they say they rebuilt the temple, this is the temple. This is the actual temple inside where the uh, Ark of the Covenant, the holy of holy place all of that, and so to to go from rubble to this, yeah, pretty <laughs> amazing stuff and, and and how they made a nine hundred mile journey from Iraq with the Persian king funding it, a pagan king. This is just amazing stuff, so you can go back to the verses now. after these things means the miraculous turnaround, and a guy like Ezra now is leading a second group. This is a second group. So chapters one through six, we had about 40,000 people come, 50,000 people come. And now there's about only 1,500. It's a second um, group of refugees who are now coming under Ezra, uh, Ezra's uh, leadership. Now, why is a second trip necessary? Well, Between chapter 6 and 7 is about 60 years. So that was a fast 60 years from last Wednesday, amen? (laughs) All right, so 60 years have passed. And uh, you know what, God's people? They can have really short memories. Oh, no, we have really good memories of all the bad things (laughs) and all the big trials and all of this. But we, have, we tend to have very short memories about all the ways that God has delivered us. And, and, and so what happens here in the 60 years is, you know, the crazy cycle starts again, you know. Uh, they're feeling fat and sassy and who needs the Lord anymore, you know. We're all blessed. We've got our, what we wanted. The temple's up and running. Oh, well, you know, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love as we sing in Come Thou Fount. And so, and the enemy never gives up, right? And so they're down, they're self-absorbed again, and they're struggling, and and so they need a spiritual booster shot. They need um, plus, Jerusalem's not done being rebuilt. Nehemiah hasn't got to the wall yet. So a lot of houses and infrastructure and all of this, and the people are just kind of in a funk. Uh, we we saw that last uh, week with the prophet Haggai who said they were all self-absorbed and and God was not really blessing them. So they need need a revival of sorts. And so Ezra is going to lead the way. And so we get to meet the guy who God is going to bring to refresh them here. Now, so we meet Ezra in verses uh, 1 through 6 here. Really, uh, we're going to see some things about him. Really, 1 through 10. Uh, So... We see first of all that he's a solid leader. He's godly. Warren Wearsby says this. When God wants to do something, he 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 never over underestimate the value of good leadership. It can save the day or bring everything. To ruin. So, the first part of the chapter is to point out that this guy's a really solid leader. He loves the Lord and he's gifted, he's godly. But the first thing is that extraordinary genealogy that just really tells you while other priests were kind of wannabes, he was legit. Uh, they, a lot of, remember last a couple chapters, there were a lot of priests who, who couldn't be in the ministry because they couldn't prove they were qualified. They didn't have the credentials. And But they're saying, this dude, he had credentials. And really, it's kind of, if you think of it in New Testament terms, it's sort of like saying, here's some evidence of God's calling, God's gifting on this man. He's the real deal. He's got some character qualities and abilities uh, to Pastor these people and to to uh, to bring the necessary spiritual restoration. That was necessary. Now we read from Psalm one fifteen to start the service, right? And the promise was to bless the house of Aaron, right? That means the family of Aaron, and so it shows you here what is it sixteen generations of God doing just that of blessing. Aaron's line, like he said. And those men were the high priests, the pastors, the lead senior pastors of Israel and the congregation of God's people. Now, what's interesting to me is that It's showing you that Ezra was a good man because he he really took advantage of a good start that God gave him by a spiritual heritage there. Now, being blessed with godly ancestors or a godly family doesn't guarantee success, but it is a good start. I like one writer quoted Abraham Lincoln who said, you know, I don't know who my grandfather was, but I'm much more concerned about what kind of man his grandson will be, referring to himself, you know. So uh, listen, here are some of the meanings of the names that are in this godly family of him. They're all related to him by blood. Uh, Their names mean the Lord is Prince or Yahweh, is my helper. God is my life. Uh, one, one name means right with God. One name means God speaks. Another name means God shines. Another name means my father saves. And so what you've got here is a guy who capitalized on what God blessed him with. It would be like, you know, your, your mom and dad are both doctors. You know that's kind of a nice thing to start life with. You know it doesn't guarantee anything, but it's just kind of nice to have had a mom and dad who knew the Lord, who brought you to church, who uh, you know didn't throw things at each other. You know, (laughs) it's kind of nice to start off like that. And that's really what's what's saying. You know what a shame it would have been. Uh, One writer went on to say, "What a tragedy it is when the descendants of a faith-filled family." turn away from the Lord and lead lives of rebellion. Set up for all the advantages in the world and then they squander it, you know? So you would have uh, these names. You would have God speaks and God shines and my father saves and Jezebel. Right? I mean, that got to rise out of Mary Ann. But what doesn't? (laughs) Or God speaks, God shines, my father saves, and Judas. Do you see? So, so Ezra didn't squander his spiritual heritage. He made the most of it. And the rest of the verses go on to show that. So 6 through 10, you're, you're reading along there with me. So he's called by God. He's the real deal. And then secondly, I see he's bold and courageous because he's going to go to the king of Persia. This is a new guy, Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. And he's going to request. You'll notice he asks the king of Persia. He gains an audience somehow. He either writes something or he goes to see him with a fat list of favors. That this He's a nobody. He's a nobody to the king of Persia. The king of Persia is ruling the then known world. Who's this Ezra guy? Is this a smart guy. Yeah. He knows his Bible pretty good, but you know, Uh, This is amazing that he can be so bold. That's the point. Is is that when you're right with God, you've got a boldness about you. You've got a confidence. If God is for me, for you, who could be against you? Right? Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one's pursuing, because they always have a guilty conscience. They're always like ready to run. You know, a cop pulls them behind them. They're like sweating bullets, you know? They're like, oh, you know, because it's a guilty conscience, right? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the righteous are bold as a lion. That proverb uh, finishes up. Now, what do you have to fear if you're right with God. And he's right with God. And so he's going to say, listen, he, and and why? He's well-versed in the scriptures. That's what it says, right? So he knows what God's plan is for Israel. Because he's well-versed in the Bible. And when you're well-versed in the word of God, you have increased faith. That's what Romans 10 and verse 17 says. Faith is increased by hearing the word. And so the more you hear the word, the more you study, the more you turn out for in-depth Old Testament Bible studies in the middle of the week. Look at you. You fanatics. <laughs> you, your confidence, your confidence, your wisdom, your right choices, your peace, your joy, it increases because you know the will of God, because you're reading his word. And so I love there where it says verse 6. He's a scribe. He's a teacher. It says well-versed. Do you know what that means in the Hebrew? I'm going to tell you. It means quick or swift. Meaning in the Bible, he knows his way around real fast. He's got it down by practice. That's what the word means. And so you know what? He's, he's, he's got a good command of the scriptures. He's got A sound theology. He's an apt communicator. That's what it's saying. And all of this is fueled to the fire for boldness and for the ability to be used by God to do something that impacts other people's lives. A pastor who is not devoted to study, it says he's devoted to study in verse 10. He's a studier. A pastor who doesn't study the word of God isn't really not doing his job. It's criminal and a sin to be weak in the pulpit. Everybody's weak in the pulpit from time to time. No amens necessary there. (laughs) But to be weak because you're out doing something you shouldn't be doing, weak because you're too lazy, weak because it's too hard. Oh, I don't want to see that on judgment day for anybody. Because that's going to be bad because pastors are responsible to feed, to nourish God's people. That you can't just be throwing cotton candy out there or a little grain here and there. That's why we pack the barbecue with meat on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. We want you fat and happy and healthy with all your vitamins from A to Z. If there is a vitamin Z, we put it out there for you. Anyway, this dude, you'd be happy to sit under Pastor Ezra, man. You really would. Now, he's called. He's courageous. He's well-studied. He's a gifted teacher, and he's smart. He recruits a, a quality team. He knows, you know, I can't do everything. He has associate pastors in the list. Verse 7, there's a worship team. There are singers. Priests and Levites are just associate pastors, okay? Okay. There's a maintenance people are the gatekeepers. We talked about that before. The word means custodians. You know, all the helpers, all the volunteers. He's got that figured out. And off they go, right? And they're going to make the 900-mile journey. It's actually 500 miles as a crow flies. But back in those days, you couldn't hop on. Emirates, you had to go the long way, and that was 900 miles. It took them 119 days, if you do the math, four months. They got little kids, and they got old people too. And trust me, old people don't travel like young people, and I know this now. <laughs> I used to fly all over the place and just, you know, spring off that plane like a spring chicken. Ah. <laughs> uh, I don't... I spring off the plane now like a roasted chicken. <laughs> I do not. Uh, no. No, it takes me like two straight weeks if I fly from L.A., you know. <laughs> All right. Verse 10 sums it up. And you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply this guy's virtues here to you, even though you're not called to be a teacher. But, but necessarily, um, listen... Three key things about this guy. Number one, he loved the word of God. And in your text, verse 10, he devoted himself to study. Listen, it's not just Timothy has to show himself approved by studying so he can rightly handle or divide the word of truth. It's everybody. Listen, let, let me show you this. Okay, I've got a little scripture here. I think it's Colossians. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you, Colossians. This isn't a pastoral letter. This is to Colossian Christians who live in a place called Colossae. Just every, average, everyday believers. As you, richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, Hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So you he live this Spirit-filled life. And so uh, when in your daily life, you're sharing things. I mean, you know, people say things all the time. They'll say things like, you know, um, I'm worried and afraid. Will you teach, you share a word, right? Or your friend is dating a non-Christian guy. Why? Well, There's a word for that, isn't there? You teach them. Someone's being tempted or caught in a sin. What's the Bible say? You teach, you share, right? Not only with our lips, but with our lives, right? And so he loved the word of God. He devoted himself to it. And listen, nothing is as beneficial to you. If I could say, do one thing that will make the biggest impact on your life. It's expose your soul more to the Bible you listen it comforts us in our troubles Psalm 119 50 it gives us victory over sin Psalm 119 verse 9 Jesus wrestled down the devil by just quoting the Bible to him that's it every temptation the devil brought to the son of God the son of God chose to say it's written as a weapon wow Knowing the Bible, man, it's a cleansing agent, Ephesians 5. You know, when you get yucked out by your own pool of sulfuric acid that bubbles up from that noxious place inside our sinful nature. Wow. All I meant by that was <laughs> sometimes you have some really stupid, dumb, evil thoughts, right? And you just feel like, oh, I need to be reset. Oh, you just take out the Psalms or you just take out the New Testament or you let it read to you if you're not a reader. Anyway, I'm digressing, but, you know, that's what I do. Uh, The second thing, you know, he practiced. Look at that. He studies it and he practices it. So he observes it. He obeys it. He's not like a Pharisee who knows it. The Pharisee knew it. The Pharisee studied it. That was their full-time job. You know what the, the name Pharisee means? Separated ones. They're separated out so that they could study the scriptures. And Jesus says, you study the scriptures, but you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, so they knew the scriptures. It's not enough to know them. Ezra knows them, and he lives by them. That's what the verse says there. James tells us in chapter one and verse twenty-two of his epistle, "Don't kid yourself, don't deceive yourself. It's not enough to know." He says you've got to be a doer of the word, lest you be like a guy who looks in the mirror, opens the Bible, sees something nasty hanging from some place on your face, and then walks away with the nasty thing hanging from your face. That's a guy who knows the word of God but doesn't do the word of God. That's what James says. You're like a guy who looks in the mirror, sees the problem, or gals looking in the mirror and see the problem, and then walking away and not addressing it. Uh, He says that's foolish. And then lastly in verse 10, not only does he study the word, not only does he live it out and obey it, But he teaches it. He passes it along. And that's what I already alluded to, is is that we're called. Listen, yeah, I I know that some people have a gift of teaching. I mean, obviously, if you're in the pulpit, you have that gift and ability. But as we read in Colossians that God expects all of us, ladies, older ladies, you need to be teaching younger ladies. It's a command not just by how you speak. and not, you know, I'm not talking about going out to coffee with an open Bible with a younger woman, though we do that here a lot. It's just in your daily relationships in life that you can speak into somebody's heart and life because you know the truth. That's, that's, what, that's what he was like. And that's what anybody who wants to make an impact and be used by God and be honored and have the good hand of God. You know, I think there's a little connection. Look at this. The gracious hand of God was on him for because Ezra had devoted himself to the the study, the observing of the Bible, the word of God and teaching it. Do you see the four there? Do you see the four? You can't earn God's favor, but by your choice to either cooperate with him and to kind of get in the groove with the three-legged race if you were yoked to him, trying to keep in step with him, then God's wonderful favor is ours. So now Ezra's like, now let me show you what I mean by this hand of God's graciousness Upon me. So it's testimony time. And he's going to say, I want to show you the letter that this king uh, decreed and, and sent to me. And, and here it is, the first half of it. So it starts out this is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra. Ezra is writing, but he's writing in third person. He's about to go into first person. So we know he's writing like Jonah. Jonah writes in third person. That's Jonah speaking. So he's in third person right now, but he's about to slip into first person. So we know it's him. This is a copy of the letter, <clears throat> of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra the priest and the teacher, a man learned learned in matters concerning the commands <clears throat> and decrees of the Lord for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law of the God of heaven. Greetings. Wow, we're off to a good start here. Let's read part one of the letter. This is the king of the world speaking, okay? Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, which is the then known world, (laughs) including priests and Levites who wish to go to Jerusalem with you may go. You are sent by the king And his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon as well as the free will offerings of the people and priests for the temple of their god in Jerusalem verse 17 with this money be sure to buy bulls rams male lambs together with their grain offerings and drink offerings and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your god in Jerusalem okay no problem boss we'll do verse 18 you and your brother jews may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God and anything else needed for the temple of your God that you may have occasion to supply, you may provide from the royal treasury. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Now... Yeah, let's stop there and digest this part of the miraculous, uh, gracious hand of God that is upon Ezra's life. Now, the good hand of God here, he's raised up a leader, we've seen that, and now the good hand of God influences pagan dictators. Not one, not two, not three, but four. By the end of this chapter, I'll, I'll review. All the pagan kings... Who did decrees like this. On behalf of God's people. They're idol worshippers. They're (laughs) cutthroat Middle Eastern dictators. And yet. A letter like this. And this is only part one. So let's take a look at this. Number one I have here. Notice that God is a multitasker. He uses Whatever means he pleases, whoever he chooses, he says, I'll have mercy on who I'll, I'll have mercy on. I'll use whoever I want. And doesn't he do that? Uh, we see in Egypt, he uses the Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardens his heart about mm, six times. And the Lord hardens his heart too for six times. So if you're going to harden your heart. I need a bad guy. I'm going to use you. I, I, I'm going I'm, to have a casting call out. I need a bad guy. And Pharaoh goes, I'll play the bad guy. And he goes, really? I'll give you six chances not to. Well, no. He takes six chances and says, no, I want to be the bad guy. So the Lord says, okay, I'll use you. And he says this in Romans, I raised Pharaoh up for the very purpose that I might display my power in him that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so he uses Pharaoh. He uses this king, Artaxerxes, Who's Arnazzerxes? He's not a Jew, he's not a Christian, he's not a believer. As far as we know. God uses a donkey in Numbers 22. God used King David, a man after God's own heart. Now listen to me. And he uses Judas. The Lord says, I need someone to betray and Judas says, "That would be me." And he says, "No, really, I'm going to give you a few options." And, and, and he says, "No, I want to be the betrayer." And so the Lord says to him, "The Lord's in control." When, they, when Judas comes to the, the garden with the soldiers, Jesus goes to them and says to him, "Friend, do what you came to do. Command form. Who's in control?" Who's using who? And then at the Last Supper in John chapter 13, the devil enters Judas and the Lord looks at Judas and says, what you're about to do, do quickly. Again, commands him. He had a choice. God's in charge. He uses Cyrus. He uses this Artaxerxes king. You know, what does it say? The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he wants to go. For me, I just start to chill out when I read verses like this. It's like, God, you know, you're in control. You know, sometimes you feel like you're on a bus and some other bozo's driving your bus, you know, and you, you have no power, right? You've got a crazy coworker. You've got a, an over-obsessive boss. Or you've got a mom who drinks too much, or you're, you're, God can work through all of that. He's at work with your leftist professor who hates God and wants to give you a C on that paper when, because you mentioned church or something terrible like that. Uh, you know, God uses these people. My favorite example, just let me tell you. In Numbers 22, 23, and 24, how God will use somebody. So the king of Moab, where Ruth was from, where Naomi lived for 10 years, the king of Moab saw a pattern of Israel coming like a steamroller and said, hey, I need some help here. So he goes to a wicked prophet named Balaam and says, I want you to curse these people. I can't stop them. No army is going to stop him. So I need some sorcery, man. So he tells Balaam, I want you to open your mouth and curse him. So Balaam says, okay, for a price I will. And so, you know, there's, they negotiate something out. And he opens up his mouth on day one. And he says, okay, I'm about to curse him. And out comes a blessing. <laughs> out comes a blessing. So this makes uh, Balak furious. And he says... In essence, because he does it again, he says, I'm going to give you a second chance. Okay? Think about what I'm asking you. And he increases the money, whatever, gold and silver. Man, you'll be happy. And he opens his mouth again, and he's like, this time you're going to give it to him, right? And he opens his mouth again, and he says, oh, Israel, blessed be. You know? (laughs) And so the guy says, Balak says, the reverse of what your mom taught you. If you can't say anything bad, Don't say anything at all. That's exactly what he says. In fact, it says, shut up. It says, you need to shut up. If you're not going to do what I asked you to do, I'll give you one more chance. And he gives him a third chance, and he opens up his mouth, and he blesses Israel again. Why? Because God will direct the, the thoughts of whoever he wants in the way they should go, and for his people... He will always uh, give them the blessing of favor. And that's what he's doing, even though you may think it doesn't feel like favor right now. The story's not over. Your story's not over. Nobody's singing at your funeral yet, right? (laughs) All right, moving on. I have down here, what part do you want to play in his drama? What part of it, what role? It's the willing party to do God's will, amen? So this is now the third pagan king who God has directed like a, a flow of water. Four if you're counting Esther's husband. Now let me tell you something. Esther's husband is this Artaxerxes' predecessor. Esther's husband's name's Xerxes. This is Artaxerxes, his replacement. They, they know each other. This is all during, in fact, did you know, between chapters 6 and 7, so what happened in the middle of last week was the book of Esther. That might explain why Artaxerxes is so really <laughs> bent on blessing the Jews. Of course. Is Mordecai still around? Yeah. Right? Mordecai was like uh, vice president of the world. He got a promotion there. Uh, But I can see you need to refresh yourselves on the book of Esther. And uh, I have all 10 chapters for you available on the app. So have fun tonight. All right. Now, listen. Do you think that Theodore Herzl, a name you should know because he's the father of what is called Zionism. Zion is, Zion is the, the, the old name for Jerusalem. And Zionism, Zion, yeah, Zionism. Yeah, just sounded funny there. <laughs> is the movement to restore exiled Jews back to the homeland. That's what Zionism means, right? So everybody says this Herzl guy theodore in the 1800s was the father and he's called the father of the nation of israel because he's the one who started saying all jews back to that track of land because that's our land right so no he's not the first zionist who's the first zionist king cyrus they were all exiled and king cyrus is like hey god has stirred up my heart and you guys all need to go back to your homeland that's zionism and so god is always doing that so you had king cyrus in chapters one one through four you have king darius the Mede in chapter six one through twelve and you've got king xerxes who was esther's husband and now you've got Artaxerxes here in chapter 7. Now, I'm not just telling you God's got his eye on his people. He's got his eye on you. He's engraved us, he says, in the palm of his hands. And lots of uh, scholars say, come on, can you see? What's in the palm of his hands is Christ crucified. He looks at those wounds and he sees you and us. He, his eyes never leave us. And so... This guy calls himself in the letter. Let's just take a quick look at it. He calls himself king of kings, right? Um, Let me show you the, the map of the world that he rules. That's all his empire. That's the whole Middle East, all the way from Israel, all the way to India, down and around, all through Africa here up into modern-day Turkey and into Europe. Do you see why he calls himself King of Kings? Lowercase, and you know what the rabbis called Yahweh, the King of the King of Kings. And that's the idea there in Revelation chapter 19, that the Lord Jesus has on his robe the title, the King of the Kings of Kings the Lord of lords. And so we look forward to that day. Amen. You can go back to the first part of this letter. So three things going on in the letter really quick. Uh, One, he gives authorization. Two, he lifts the travel ban. And three, he's going to give them compensation. Right? So just a couple things. Uh, One, authorization there in verses 11 and 12. He says, I decree, I'm king of kings. I say it's okay. I've got seven uh, of my cabinet members. So you're going to do this because I've given you permission along with my cabinet. And it's going to be kosher for you to do that. Now, uh, I really, he's clearly impressed. Listen to how he talks. Look at how he talks about this guy. He's impressed with him because he's an impressive kind of guy. He's a stand-up guy. He's got integrity. He's got countenance like Daniel. Before him, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, like Esther and Mordecai, all of these Jews, all these people talk about Yahweh and God, they all have light in their faces. I never hear them say a profane word the way they live, the way they treat themselves, uh, treat other people, I should say he's impressed with them, oh man of God, and all of this, you learner bro. you know he 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 really is impressed. I like what the New Testament says about making live in such a way that causes the teaching about God, our savior to be attractive. That's in Titus chapter two. And he says in Colossians four, could you use wisdom toward outsiders so that when God wants to use an unbeliever to bless his people, that, He's predisposed to do that because he sees, wow, there's something different about these guys. And that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, So, the second thing he does is he lifts the ban. Your entourage is cleared for takeoff, backed by me and my seven guys. And then the last thing, uh, uh, verses 15 and following, and he says, Moreover, don't worry, the Persian government is going to fund you, provide and maintain this ministry. And your trip, the work of the ministry there. So you look, I want you to look at verses 18 through 20. And it's just amazing. You and your brother Jews may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the money that you don't use for the will of God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem uh, all the articles entrusted to, to, to you for the temple use and anything else you need, Right? Uh, you just dip into the royal treasury. This is incredible. Now, you might be wondering why he's saying, give that God of Jerusalem anything he wants. All right? Why, why is that? Well, the book of Ezra, Esther tells you why. You remember. Let me, let me tell you, and then we'll put this verse up for you. So within the last 20, 30 years, this has happened, the book of Esther. So it explains why this guy is like, whatever God wants, God gets. You're God of heaven, this God in Jerusalem. Well, can, can I write a check right now? What's up with that? Well, here's what happened. Wicked Haman had this false decree to wipe out all the Jews in the Persian Empire. You recall what happened. Xerxes Esther's husband issued a worldwide reversal of that edict to kill all the Jews. Every Jew, 15 million at the time, was slated to die. And with 10 seconds left on the clock, all right, God gets in a beautiful Jewish lady to marry the king of the world. You know, he may be the head of the home, but she's the neck and she turned the head wherever she wanted it to go, as I like to say. Right? And she turned it toward Jerusalem. And so he saved the day by um, empowering the Jews to create armies. He sent his royal horses out uh, throughout the empire to say, hey, the Jews have the right to in, uh, uh, gather themselves to have armies to defend themselves and to plunder anybody who aggresses them. And here are the last words of chapter 8. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy because they were saved from a holocaust. Gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came. And I showed you the map. In every province of the then known world, (laughs) there was joy and gladness among everywhere where there were Jews with feasting and celebrating, and many people of other nationalities became Jews because the fear of the Jews had seized them. Well, now we understand why this king is saying, hey, can I give you cash right here? You know, you guys, uh, you know, what uh, yeah. and just let me show you part two of the letter. And now you'll understand why the fear of the Jews was gripped the entire place. Oh, it's that God you're talking about. Here's the last part of the letter. And with that, we wrap up. Now I, King Artaxerxes, order all the treasurers of that region of the world near Israel up to Jordan, parts of Syria, to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, a teacher of the Bible, of the God of heaven, may ask you. Up to 100 talents, I've done the conversion for you, 7,500 pounds of silver. 100 course that's 500 bushels or 30,000 pounds of wheat. 100 baths, which is 550 gallons of wine. 550 gallons of olive oil and salt without limit. I converted that for you in the supply. <laughs> Winky face. Whatever the God of heaven has... Listen, Listen to this guy. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. God of heaven. God of heaven. God of heaven. Why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute, or duty... On any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants, or other workers at this house of God. And you, Ezra, now he's commanding Ezra. This is too much right here. This is over the top. This is tilt. Okay. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Israel, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon parts of Saudi Arabia all who know the laws of your God and you are to teach any who don't know Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. This guy just went through the book of Esther, right? And so he's learned a few things. And so this is pretty cool here. So the people are repenting and praying and seeking God. They've been through some tough times, but now the clouds are coming with silver linings, quite literally, right? Listen, you could be going through bad times. God's got something. You stop to do it God's way, and it'll be okay. And he is bringing in the blessings. And can you imagine? This just reminds me of when God, when the Lord says, hey, try fishing on this side of the boat. And then they almost drown because of how much, how many fish leap in to the nets, the fish and the loaves of bread, the olive oil for the widow that just keeps running. This is a God who says, I know how to supply your every need. Just a couple thoughts here. Look at the gracious hand of God upon us. The, the, the respect, he says. The power of the God of Israel. I love verse 23 B. It says, let not do anything to provoke this God. Why bring judgment against our nation and my own family? Why would I do that? Smarter than some believers. Number two, notice his desire to be kind to God's people. Here's his understanding. If I'm, the, the notion of receiving grace by extending grace is a biblical one. He says, I'm going to be kind to them and he's going to be kind to me. That's what he's thinking. And he's right. Because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive what? Mercy. Yeah. And then James says, don't even think you're going to get an ounce of mercy if you're not merciful. That's what James says. Do you want mercy? Jesus says, then you better be all about mercy and cutting people slack or you will not be cut and slack. Ooh, that just changed me into the most merciful person right now. In my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be merciful even tonight. And you're going to be merciful to me right now just because I went a little long tonight, right? I don't, I'm not feeling it yet, though. I'm not feeling it, okay. All right, one last thing. Desire to evangelize. He's telling him, he's commanding him, and you will install believing administrators everywhere you go. And if they aren't already believers, I want you to train them. I want you to teach them. I want you to convert them and install them into government positions. I can just see him going, this is crazy stuff. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I was teaching in a secular college where the gracious hand of God was upon me for eight years. I evangelized every single day for eight years in a school that no longer exists anymore in the, in the Bay Area, a vocational school. But I, I did the work. I made them do the work. I taught the lesson. And I brought the gospel everywhere for Thousands of students. I turned every class into a little mini evangelism crusade. Right? And so one time I get called in by the dean. And she says, I want to see you, Mr. Reitman, after lunch in my office. And so I go, oh, man, you know, you can only evangelize so much at a secular school. (laughs) You know, and so I go into her office, I've told you this story before, and she has on her desk a piece of paper and I'm reading it upside down. And it says, Jesus died for our sins, right? And so she says, Tell me, you teach English. I just want to know. Well, a student came in, complained, and said that you said Jesus died for our sins. And I was thinking, at least she's accurate. <laughs> and 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 she says, How? In the world, did you manage to work in Jesus' death on the cross in an English class? And then, as I'm trying to think of something to say, she says, I don't know how you did it, but hats off to you. (laughs) Excuse me? And she said, She's a Catholic woman, a believer. And she said, What these kids and these young people need today is more religion. And I don't know how you're doing it, but people like your class. And just just one little thing, I want you to use discernment. But I want you to keep up the good work. Oh. I'm like, what? <laughs> I walked out of there, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I said, yes, ma'am. I'll keep up the good work. And this is exactly what's happening here. He's telling the guy, and by the way, I'm going to pay for everything and a supply and anything you need. And why, why don't you put believers in all of these positions? He's like, yes, sir. And this is why the chapter ends right here with the next little verse. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his seven advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And listen, my friend, I want to tell you this. The good hand of God is upon you is upon you and it's not because of anything you do it's because you believed in the son of God and his good hand is upon you you can either really maximize those blessings by your cooperation or you can hinder them the choice is ours tonight because the good hand of God's grace is upon us amen Amen. let's pray together Father God, we just thank you for the hidden beauty of the truth. In the middle of Ezra, who would have known that there's such an encouraging chapter here in the middle of the Old Testament. We pray, Father, that you would reverse our wrong thinking about you, that we're always thinking you're, you're displeased and you're not happy and the other shoe is going to fall sooner or later. Lord, that's just not you. This is you, (laughs) the good hand of the Lord upon us because of Christ. Help us to catch that and to be encouraged by it. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like I'm to learn more please visit our website at cctherock.com feels like I'm